This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good evening. Welcome to Celebration Church. Good to have you with us. Uh, Is the Fox Valley watching as well? Hi, you guys at our campus on the Fox Valley. Uh, first Wednesday, uh, where we take time to look into the scriptures and study what's there. Uh, tonight, actually, uh, a little something extra special tonight. We're having people getting baptized. Very cool. How many people? 14? Wow. That's good. I will have to shut up earlier than I expected. All right, so that's That's fine. I'm not going anywhere. You'll be back here next month. So uh, anyway, so um, how many of you actually brought your physical Bibles with you? Raise your hands. I see all you sinners that did not. All right, so now we want to encourage you to do this. Well, I got it on my phone. I don't care. Bring it. Get it in your hand. I want you to get a feel for it and to kind of get a you know, visual of what we're talking about here. Now, I'm doing a series on first Wednesdays, and I don't know how long this will last. may not last terribly long. Uh, but we've got lots to talk about. Um, And uh, we're doing a series where we're teaching about the Bible. Now, that's different than teaching the Bible. Do you get the difference? When we teach the Bible, we're going to open up verses, we're going to break down the verses, take a look into stuff. But this particular series, we're actually going to be talking about the Bible. What is this thing? How did it get here? What is it all about? The reason for this is we get so many new Christians coming in, 14 new baptisms, candidates coming in and new people coming all the time. And sometimes we forget, they don't really have much of a background on this. And they, there's all kinds of things. People were asking me questions. Well, what does that mean? When you guys talk about that, and I said, you know, I probably should do a series just on the Bible for those who want to try to understand what in the world we are talking about. Last month, we talked about the Bible is made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. They're not books like uh, you would think of books. I mean, this is not Harry Potter or something. <laughs> They're uh, historical records, often in the New Testament, overwhelmingly letters that we call books of the Bible. How did they get there? Uh, this was the Old Testament was decided uh, by Jewish people. Why? It's their record. <laughs> They're the ones who decided what is legit and what is not. In fact, if you open up your Bibles, break right where the New Testament starts. You can see that right at the Gospel of Matthew or the page that says New Testament. You will see this is the new, this is the old. The old's a lot fatter than the new one. A lot of stuff in here. It covers thousands of years of history. Why is it there? What is it all about? Again, who decided it? The Jewish people decided the Old Testament. We decided the New Testament, and virtually both were decided the exact same way. It depended on who wrote it. If someone wrote it that was highly respected and and revered, then it was added. If they weren't, 
they weren't, or if they had other stuff that kind of contradicted other parts, they kept those out. We kept, they kept it solid. Uh, in the New Testament, pretty much everything was written uh, either by an apostle or someone extremely close to an apostle. I think the only one in that is Mark. Mark is the only one in the New Testament that wasn't written by an apostle per se. Uh, two other books that are there uh, were written by Jesus' half-brothers, James and Jude. So because of who they were and their connection, they were highly respected, and it was added. Mark uh, was not an apostle, but uh, it is reported that he was you know, joined at the hip to Peter. I guess everywhere Peter went, here's Mark with them, and, and got all this information from Mark. Uh, from Peter, and then you, all you have to do is take Mark, which is what they did, and compare it to the other ones, and it's dead on. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. We talked about some of the other Gospels. There's all, there's all kinds of Gospels, all kinds of writings, man. There's gobs of them, arguably hundreds of them. Why didn't they make it in? First of all, we, they didn't know who these guys were, or there were things that were contradictory. Uh, Mark wasn't an apostle. There's a, a, a Gospel called the Gospel of Barnabas. Why didn't that make it? Because it had some weird things in it. It just didn't make any sense. We quoted it last time where there was an, an account at the resurrection where there was this floating cross following Jesus when he rose, and it spoke. So the talking floating cross, uh, ah, that gets thrown out, okay? None of the, and I think that's something most people would have noticed and recognized and recorded, all right? The other four mentioned nothing about floating talking crosses. This one did, ah, it's out. So it's, these were really, really gone over in great detail. And these people seriously studied these things. We can't even begin to get our heads around it. I, I saw a meme the other day. Uh, it was a picture of a monk, you know. And uh, he says, of course you don't have time to read your Bible. I only spent my entire life writing it down so you could see it. I mean, they did this one word at a time by hand uh, and was very, very strict on how they did it. Okay, so anyway, that's where that came from. Now, What's the testament? What does that mean? Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, a testament is a word for covenant. Uh, there is the old covenant and the new covenant. What was the old covenant? The old covenant was pretty much based on the law of Moses, which we'll eventually get to and kind of explain that. This is where you get the Ten Commandments. But there were more than Ten Commandments. There were bucket loads of commandments. I follow the Ten Commandments. Yeah, well, if you're going to follow the commandments, there's a whole lot of other ones, just the Ten. The Ten were the first Ten. And then there's just a slug of other ones. And it gets very, very complicated. The old Jewish law was very restrictive. Where you could go, where you couldn't go, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what you could wear, what you shouldn't do. I mean, laws like crazy. So this is based on the old covenant, the law of Moses. The New Testament is the new covenant based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Hallelujah for the sins of the world. And everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to uh, erase all of this. He says, I came to fulfill it so that it no longer uh, be blocked out or tossed aside. But, it's, you know, he fulfilled all of these things. We don't, as Christians, actually live now by the law of Moses. We'll get to all that. But uh, so that's the new covenant. So we're going to start with the Old Testament. Why is the Old Testament important? Because if you come tell people about Jesus, the question has to come, who's he? <laughs> Where did he come from? Well, he was the Messiah. What's a Messiah? Who said there would be a Messiah? 
The Jews, who are the Jews? Where did they come from? How did all this happen? The Old Testament is critical, or a whole lot of the New Testament doesn't make any sense. And lots of the New Testament actually quotes a lot of the Old Testament. It's all tied together. So we're going to focus now just talking about the Old Testament so you can get a kind of a feel of what it's about and, uh, and, and what is in there. All right? Now, <laughs> too many pages here. All right, come on, Mark. It's the bad thing about the, there we go, okay. Everything flies quickly. Uh, Okay, so the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament starts out with the first five books. These are uh, Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Actually, you can just look at your uh, table of (laughs) contents there in your Bible, and you'll just see it all right there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were all written by, anybody know? Moses, Moses. Uh, which is hilarious because there's a verse in there that says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. (laughs) Written by Moses. Moses said that, so I don't know. It's kind of a little strange, but uh, uh, (laughs) um, so uh, the most uh, fascinating part, actually, this this is actually the most important to the Jewish nation. They call it, anybody know the word? What? No, well, actually, it is called that. But the more common word is Torah. That's what the Jews call it, Torah. That's what Pentateuch is right, because it's five, like the Pentagon, five-sided, that kind of thing. So uh, the Torah, and they are really big into the Torah, and they really follow this, mainly because of all the laws, the law of Moses, all the regulations, all the do's and don'ts, and when and where's and how's and it gets detailed. There's laws that I don't even know what they're talking about and what strange laws. Do you know it's against the law of Moses to cook a goat in its mother's milk? Why? Isn't that rather odd? There must be a reason. I certainly don't know what it is. There are, there are some really hilarious ones that actually would be inappropriate in a setting like this. <laughs> You have no idea the rules they had about stuff. It was rather uh, intense. I can tell you one, it's borderline, which I think is hilarious. There's a law in the Old Testament that if your husband gets in another fight with another man and the wife jumps in and grabs the other man by his, the nads, uh, she's in big trouble. Now, I don't know how much nad grabbing was going on at that time. But I mean, they, I'm t- they had ru- there's strict rules. What to do in that? All right, what do we do? We have some nads grabbed here. Let me see what, and they look it up. And they were really, 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 really strict about all of this stuff. And then what really went south is then later on, the Jews kept adding to the laws. And well, you know, we need to do this. Christians have done the same thing, Right. We've talked about this. You know, I talk about in the New Testament, the, the Jews, the Pharisees have become very strict, uh, condemning about everything, legalists, because they started adding laws on top of the other laws to help the laws out, and, and it becomes problematic. Uh, Christians have done this forever. The Bible says you should not get drunk. Christians assume, well, therefore, you cannot drink, because if you drink, if you don't drink, then you can't get drunk. Well, yeah, but it doesn't say that. You know, or you can't go to a restaurant that has a bar, which nobody listens to anymore because virtually every restaurant has a bar. But I mean, when I was growing up, back in the 1800s, the, 
Christians couldn't go to these places because, oh, there's a bar at that place. You can't go in there. Why? Because if you go in a place that has a bar, you might take a drink and then you might get drunk and become an alcoholic. All these things. It's this, I've used this analogy before. It's like if the rule is children should not play in the street, a legalist comes along and says, well, then they can't play in the yard. Because if they play in the yard, they're going to get tempted to play in the street. And another nitwit comes along and says, well, really, uh, they need to stay inside and close the curtain. Because if they have the curtains open, they're going to see the yard, get tempted to play in the yard, and end up in the street. And then another nitwit comes along and says, you know, children should really stay in the basement. Because if they're upstairs, they'll see the curtain, they'll be tempted to look in the curtain, they'll see the grass, want to go play on the grass, and then end up dead in the street. This actually makes sense to people. And a lot of this kind of stupid thinking is replete in portions of Christianity, and when you stand up against it, they just have a fit. But it's just legalistic nonsense that just gets out of control. And that's just our current day. Back in the Jewish day, it was that and then some. And they kept adding it. So Jesus came along, and he kept breaking all their rules and really ticking them off because they weren't really the original rules. These were rules that these guys kept throwing in to make things even more complicated and more troublesome. All right, so anyway, so those first five books, the first five books are extremely important. Again, for the Jews, this is like the yo mama part of the Bible. This is the most important, that Torah, where they get their law. Of the five, I think the most important actually is Genesis. Uh, I don't know that they would agree with me on that, but Genesis really answers a lot of questions, uh, but not in great detail. You know, people argue about, well, was the earth created in six 24 hours or was it six chunks of time? I don't know. Despite my age, I wasn't there. I don't remember. But anyway, and if I was old enough, I wouldn't remember how it happened. <laughs> but anyway, uh, all these, and they don't get into all these, and they, people fight over The point isn't the fight over it. The point is God did it. Amen. And I tell people all the time, I say, well, I, I think it was millions, six million years. All right, great. By the way, you know why these big numbers is because your head can't handle it. Anything can happen if it took millions of years. So they take an absurd concept, say it happened over millions of years. Well, of course, anything can happen over millions of years, you know. So anyway, whatever. I don't care. The point is, okay, if you think it took that long, great. Let's just agree that God did it. But see, that's not what they want. They want to think it just happened. It just happened by itself, that we're here as a big galactic burp, that all this just happened. Nobody knows where the burp came from, but that's where it came from. And all this just happened. And critters started swimming around in the sea and climbed up a tree and fell out uh, in, a, in a business suit someday. And that's how we got here. And it's all ridiculous. All of it's absurd. But the point is, no matter what you think about that, that's what you think, fine. But God did it. All right? You think that's how God did it? I got no problem with you. If you're saying, I just, just happened and God didn't do it, then, then we're going to have a problem because that's just not true. We're not an accident. You are not an accident, despite what your parents said. <laughs> Oops. Wasn't planning on you. There you go. But uh, so nobody's an accident. Everybody's here on purpose. We are human beings here on purpose. So in Genesis, we start getting this picture of where everything comes from. And, you know, uh, Adam and Eve, that whole thing, mankind rebelled against God, just sent the whole thing in a tailspin. And the world got so bad, so fast, I don't think we can get our heads around it. It got corrupt at a level that is 
just incomprehensible to, to grab and extraordinarily violent. Uh, in fact, it became so violent, and who knows what they were, man, because all you got to do is look back in the Middle Ages, how violent they were, and, you know, thousands of years ago. It was so violent that God couldn't take it anymore. And he says, we have to, have to do a reset. And he wiped the whole thing out, except for Noah and his uh, family. By the way, did any of you guys see this thing on the news about, uh, they did these uh, radar images on the mountain in Turkey or whatever, and they found what they think is Noah's Ark. And, uh, and they had the pictures of it. It was just fascinating. It says, based on the images they're seeing, it is the exact size of the Ark that was described in Genesis, which is going to be fascinating. Of course, even if they pull it out and they show it, people still won't believe it because people are crazy. But anyway, uh, so God resets the whole thing, and then it starts again with Noah, and then away we go. And then one day, uh, a guy comes along by the name of Abram, who changed, God changes his name to Abraham and starts this Jewish nation. All right, so that's what the first five books of the Bible are about. Uh, the next one is, if you look in your table of contents or flip through your Bible, the next one you'll see is the book of what? Exodus. Nope. Gen no, Exodus after Genesis, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five, and then what? Joshua. Okay, so Joshua comes along. Joshua, you got to read Joshua or you're, you know, it's like if you're watching, you know, one of these Netflix things and there's a, every season ends with a dramatic end and it's like, what happens next? So what happens is all this happens through Genesis and everything we finally get, the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land and it stops. <laughs> it's like, well, what happens? So then you got Joshua and Joshua is the record of what they did and how they went in and conquered this land and all the different things that had happened. All right. From there, then you got a, a little book by the name of Judges, uh, which is the record. Now they're in the promised land. God does a deal with them. If you do the right thing, and it's kind of the same deal even to this day as far as Christian living, do the right thing and I will bless your life. If you don't, I will kick your butt. And sometimes people don't know why their butt's getting kicked so it's because they're not living right. It's just it, the two are tied together. You see, we're earning our salvation. No, no. Jesus is our only recourse for salvation. But you start acting out badly, you're going to reap what you sow and things are not going to go well for you. It's just the bottom line. So after Judges, then time goes along and then everything God told them not to do, they start doing. And everything God told them to do, they didn't do. And they kept getting themselves in trouble. And God would, according, just like he promised, would send a, you know, a group, some invading army and stuff like that, and they're all screaming to God for help. And then he would send someone to help them. They were called judges. They were the judges of the land because there were no kings and stuff at that time. And God would deliver them. That's where you read guys, about guys like Samson, all right? The big, powerful Samson. all comes from the book of Judges. And we see this thing being acted out in front of us. It's really rather fascinating. Uh, once you get past that, then you get to kind of a historical thing. There's a little book stuck in there called Ruth. Uh, and if you've never read it, it's, it's a really short read. It's a real interesting uh, book about this girl, Ruth, who is living with her mother-in-law, but her husband's had died. And it's, you know, it's kind of a sad story. And, and, uh, and she wants to find someone to marry again. It's a good book for some of you girls to read. All right, single girls looking for a guy. And by the way, I'm going to talk about this Sunday because it irritates me to no end. It's stunning to me how many times Christians quote parts of the Bible that contradict the very point they're trying to make. 
It's stunning, and I'm gonna talk about some of them on Sunday. This is one of them, so you're gonna hear this again. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's this thing that a lot of Christians, tell, evangelical churches tell young girls, well, don't, don't pay any attention to boys. Make them pursue you, pursue, pursue. pursue. Have you heard this? The pursue talk? Because you want to be like Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and Boaz. Have you ever read Ruth and Boaz? The whole story is about these girls who went after Boaz. All they did is pursue. Boaz was clueless. He didn't know what was going on the entire time. And Ruth never asked, or Boaz never asked Ruth to marry her. Guess who asked? Ruth does. Ruth asked Boaz to marry her. From this story, we tell women, you know, just don't, don't do anything. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. So anyway, we'll get more into that on Sunday. But, uh, so anyway, this one, but why is Ruth there? The point of Ruth is because Boaz becomes the great grandfather of a little boy named David. Because David is now, first of all, we got, you know, Genesis and Moses, the whole big thing there. And then everything goes along. And then all of a sudden we hear, get this introduction to this family, Boaz and Obed or whatever the guy's name is, and then uh, Jesse, and then David. So David becomes King David. And that's right, why right away then you have First and Second Samuel. This is pretty much the story of David. David is an incredible story. And after we do this summary thing and we come back, I want to be jumping into the Bible and read specific elements, not the entire thing, but just, stuff, just so you can see some of the major stuff that happens here. It's really absolutely fascinating. And read the story of this guy. Not only does he kill Goliath, I mean, this guy is a fighting machine. He is incredible. And he becomes this major king. The first, he's not the first king. The first king was Saul. He messed up. David comes in and he is the one that unites all the Jewish tribes together. Uh, and they become this incredible nation that we still talk about today. Jesus was celebrated over and over again as the son of David. He was born in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. All this is tied to this King David, who is an amazing uh, person. And that whole first and second Samuel is all about David and how all this happens. Then you get to first Kings, second Kings, first Chronicles, second Chronicles, which pretty much just, they echo each other. And this is where you have the history of the kings of Israel. And they are an unmitigated disaster. One mess up after another, after another, after another. And they just kept corrupting themselves until finally God says, enough. And he warned them. He said all these prophets, a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament, these prophets and stuff, are all talking about this period of time where God is warning them, you need to stop. If you don't stop, judgment is coming. And they drag this out for centuries. You think God is ticked off at you? I promise you, he's a lot more patient than you think. If you think God is impatient, read these books, because halfway through I'm yelling, kill them already. <laughs> What's taking so long? Because they were just in, they were horrible. We're not talking guys who just didn't get along. These were evil people, and they were constantly worshiping idols and stuff, and the pagans around them would have such an impact on them. And it wasn't just going to pagan church on Sunday morning. These people were evil. And it says that even the Israelites would take their children and offer them as burnt sacrifices 
to these demigods. I mean, they had lost their ever-loving minds. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth, the, the one who promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you got the children of Israel through Joseph comes into Egypt, Moses comes through, set my people free, all these incredible miracles, and now, and then they bring them this great King David, and then they just completely go nuts, and they just totally destroy everything. And then God comes and brings major judgment. A lot of what you'll read in the Old Testament is what happens at this point because they get drugged into captivity and then they come back and then Jesus comes. It's a fascinating thing. We'll get into it in more detail. I got to wrap it up because we're going to baptize these people. But uh, anyway, so you start to get a picture of what this stuff is and where it all comes from and how God moved through this. And all of this was to prepare a nation for the birth of the King of Kings. All of a it didn't go as planned, but you know what? You know, sometimes people get all upset. You know, I, I've made mistakes, Pastor. I, I missed it. God, God can't bless my life anymore. No, he can still bless your life. Look at these people, completely jacked up. But at the end of the day, God got them where, where he wanted to get them, right? You know, the will of God isn't one little door that you forgot to go through and now your life is in the toilet. Or, you know, I shouldn't have married that idiot. I married the other idiot, you know, whatever. And, 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 and oh, my life's over because I made a mistake or this horrible thing happened. No, your life is not a mistake. doesn't matter. How many idiots you married? <laughs> that get a little expensive. Uh, your life can still have meaning. And God isn't done with you yet. So we're going to look at this nation and how they kept going off the rails and yet how God completely put them in the place where everything that was promised about the Messiah eventually comes to pass, despite all the efforts to destroy the nation. It's absolutely fabulous. All right, so now we're going to talk about the baptism because it's baptismal night. All right, so... Um, I want to, uh, who's all getting their hand, baptized hands? Where are they? Okay. So you guys, so I want you to understand what, we ha what happens in baptism. This is one of the things that Jesus, the Bible is very clear about. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, at at Cele Celebration Church, we're uh, what we call a convergent church, where we bring together the different streams of Christianity, the charismatic, the evangelical, and the sacramental. And part of the sacramental is this idea of baptism. We call it a sacrament. It's where God shows up in a physical situation, but God is there. It's like when we lay hands on someone. That's a sacramental moment. And we had, the other one, two Sundays ago, we prayed for people, you know, for healing. You should hear some of the stories we got. It was amazing. People come up to me later and say, man, I have been in pain for decades. And after you guys laid hands on me and stuff like that, my pain is all gone. It's cool. God shows up when we do these things that the Bible instructs us to do. One of these sacramental, that's what communion is. It's the bread and the wine becomes a special moment. Something physical becomes spiritual. The same thing happens in baptism. It's not just we're getting you wet and it's not just a lot of, see a lot of evangelicals and we're part of that as well, but a lot of them downplay this. They say, oh, it's just an outward sign of an inward work. They got all the great phraseology to dismiss it, but they're wrong. It is not just an outward side of it inward. God does something here. And you're going to sense that tonight. As you come in faith and you get baptized, you will sense God doing something in your life. And it's a powerful thing. And that's what we're going to be celebrating tonight. Now, what has happened throughout the centuries, one of the earliest things that we have in recorded uh, Christian history is baptism and what they did for baptism. Uh, and we're going to be getting to that. Once we go through this, we're going to go through church history so you can see where all these different things come from. I don't know if you like this stuff, but I love it. I think it's fascinating. Anyway, 
earliest things, baptism. And the one thing that we see early on in Christianity, like within the hundred, first hundred years or so, is this thing called the Apostles' Creed. It's something we say every Sunday, right? It's a little change. I'll explain it in just a minute. But it, they did this as part of baptism. They all had to memorize it before they got baptized. And we're not going to make you do that, but uh, although it's not a bad idea, um, uh, not tonight anyway, uh, they would memorize this and they would say it before they got baptized. They were confessing their faith. Now, we're going to do this tonight. Now, um, we're going to do a much more traditional version of it. On Sunday morning, we say we believe in God and all this kind of stuff. Well, originally it wasn't that way. We say that because we do it as a congregation. It is I believe in God because it was a personal declaration. So we're going to have, not right now, but we're going to have you guys all come forward here. Stand, everybody's going to stand. We're going to say this together, come up on the screen and make this proclamation that I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, all these different things uh, as we go along. Um, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The original, actually, you'll see this sometimes in, in, in uh, some Christian literature, is it says, he descended to hell. And people say, he went to hell? Well, it's just that the word for the place of the dead was also the word for hell. And most people have corrected that now because it freaks people out. So we're not going to have you say hell. We're just going to say the place of the dead. All right? On the third day, he rose again and stuff like that. But then we get to this last part. Uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to have you, I want you to read it. as we do. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, we, don't, we take that word out because everybody thinks Roman Catholic. And I don't have time to explain it every Sunday. It's not Roman Catholic. C, big C, is a little C. It means universal. I believe in the Christian church. That's what that means. Uh, I believe in the communion of saints. We don't use that as well because people think, oh, we're talking about praying to dead people. We don't pray to dead people. Saints is a biblical word for believers. It's been absconded and supposed to be just for super holy people. That never existed in the Bible. They weren't, they weren't a special category of saints. Again, I'd have to explain this every Sunday, and that's why we don't say it. We just say we believe in the fellowship of believers. Although I'm thinking about changing it to communion of believers. So, not quite there, but I think I'm going to. Because fellowship of believers sounds like we're sharing a cheeseburger. <laughs> you know, and it means more, there's this connection that happens between believers all over the world. Past, present, future. There's this glorious church that we're part of. Uh, and then the forgiveness of sin stuff. Oh, and one other thing. When we, we always talk about who for us and for our salvation, you know what I'm talking about on Sunday morning? That's not part of the Apostles' Creed. That's part of the Nicene Creed. I took it and put it in it because we can do whatever we want. We're an independent church, all right? We don't have somebody looking over us yelling at us about stuff. Uh, I think it's just beautiful phraseology. There's three major creeds. There's the Apostle Creed, the Nicene Creed, which is way longer, and there's the third one. I can't even remember the name of it, and it is like three pages or four pages. Have you ever seen it? Oh, my goodness. It would give you a headache just reading it. And we ain't never going to do that one. I'll tell you that right now. So, but some churches do the Nicene. It's just longer and stuff. We try to keep it more compact and do the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to do that all as part of a statement of faith. And then we're going to start baptizing you guys. So all you that want to get baptized, come down here and stand in front of me. Oh, you baptismal candidates, come on down here. And we're going to expect God to do something really special in your hearts and lives tonight. All right. Lying here. Looking at the pastor. Don't look at those people. They're scary. Turn around. Look at me. I'm beautiful. There, 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 there you go. That's good. That's good. There we go. All right. You can come this way a little bit. There. Perfect. Now, the rest of you can all stand, and we're going to do this together. 
read it because it's different than we not what we normally say. Again, we're going to be saying I instead of we, and some of those other little changes have been removed. So if we can pop that up, this is going to be our profession tonight as we get baptized. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, this is what the early Christians all said before they got baptized. Only they said it in Greek or Latin. We're not going to get that technical. But anyway, so the rest of y'all can sit down. You guys can go line up to get baptized. And let's enjoy this uh, as we witness these people making a stand for Jesus. Amen.
Let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful tonight for these professions of faith. These men and women who've come forward and said, I choose to follow Jesus. Lord, great grace over them as they've taken in this wonderful sacrament. Fill them with great joy, their families with great joy, as we continue to celebrate what you've done in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless y'all. Bye-bye. <laughs>